and from their spirit. We love you. In Jesus' name pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, before we get into our sermon tonight, um, I do have one baptism certificate uh, to hand out. So let me go ahead and uh, read this. It's a certificate of baptism. This certificate is awarded to Linda Rubley in recognition of her baptism on the 19th day of March of the year 2023, presented by Verity Baptist Church with the verse Romans 6, 4, Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. And we have pictures uh, for Miss Linda to remember the date of her baptism. And let's go ahead and give her a round of applause. And we'll get that to her. All right. All right, well, we're there in Luke chapter number 22. And of course, we are in a sermon series called Journey with Jesus. It's a verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of Luke. And if you are paying attention, you'll notice that we are going a little backwards tonight. Uh, this morning, we finished Luke chapter 23, which means that we have one last chapter left in this book for us to study together, Luke chapter 24. And we will, of course, deal with that on Easter Day. Um, but if you remember, several weeks ago when we were in Luke chapter 22, we skipped this portion of Scripture dealing with the Lord's Supper. And I told you then that we would deal with it tonight as we prepare to receive the Lord's Supper uh, this week. So I'm going to be speaking to you on the, on, about the subject and teaching you from the Bible about the subject of the Lord's Supper. And we'll be looking at it from here, Luke 22. Just for context, if you look at verse 1, I want you to notice the Bible says, Now the feast of unleavened bread drew nigh, which is called the Passover. I want you to notice that the King James Bible is often its own dictionary, and it is its own commentary. And here, the Bible is telling us that there is a feast that is drawing near. It's called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. That's what it's often referred to as in the Old Testament, though the Old Testament, of course, uses both terms. And then for clarification, uh, Luke, under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, tells us which is called the Passover. So I want you to make note of that. The Feast of Unleavened Bread is the Passover. We are referring to uh, the same celebration. Of course, if you study the Feast of Unleavened Bread in the Old Testament, you'll find that it goes for seven days. And the Passover, of course, is one of those seven days. But these are happening at the same time. So the Feast of Unleavened Bread drew nigh, which is called the Passover. In our context here, we see that the Passover is near. And not only do we see that the Passover is near, but we also see that the plot to kill Jesus is, of course, underway. Look at verse 2. And the chief priests and scribes sought how they might kill him, for they feared the people. Then entered Satan unto Judas, surnamed Iscariot, being of the number of the twelve, and he went his way and communed with the chief priests and captains how he might betray him unto them. And they were glad and covenanted to give him money. And he promised and sought opportunity to betray him unto, the, unto them in the absence of the multitudes. And I'm not going to give a lot of commentary regarding these verses. We actually already dealt with this portion when we studied the, uh, ser- when we did the sermon on the Garden of Gethsemane. But of course, we see that the chief priests and the scribes have conspired to crucify Christ. They have uh, acquired the services of Judas Iscariot. They have given him money to get him to betray Christ. And these things are underway. And then in verse 7, we begin to see the teaching on 
the Lord's Supper. Luke 22 and verse 7, the Bible says, Then came the day of unleavened bread. And I want you to notice that in verse 1 it said, The Feast of Unleavened Bread, which refers to all seven days. But then there is the day or the day of unleavened bread. Notice again, when the Passover must be killed. And we begin to see this teaching on the Passover. And it's important to understand uh, the Lord's Supper and what we're going to see is the Lord Jesus Christ institute the Lord's Supper. Here in Luke 22, he gives us the institution of the Lord's Supper. And I, I want to teach this to you because of the fact that we're going to be taking the Lord's Supper on Wednesday night. And you need to be ready and prepared to uh, receive the Lord's Supper. Now, some of you have maybe heard me preach on this in the past. And this will be a good review. It's good for you to hear it. Some of you maybe don't know anything about the Lord's Supper. Or maybe you're, you've never heard it the way that we uh, teach it here. And, uh, and I would just encourage you to look down at your Bibles, follow along in the Scripture, and look at what the Bible says. I'd like to give you several thoughts regarding uh, the Lord's Supper. And the first is emphasized here begins, it's emphasized in this passage, but it begins here in verse 28. And actually it began in verse number 1 when we saw the context of this passage when it says, Now the Feast of Unleavened Bread drew nigh, which is called the Passover. Verse 7, then came the day of unleavened bread when the Passover must be killed. Do you understand the context? The context is the Passover is happening. They're getting ready to celebrate the Passover. They're getting ready to have the Passover or the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Now, I don't have time to go to the book of Exodus. We're actually going to go to the book of Exodus later in the sermon, and I'm going to show you some things about the Passover, but I don't have time to show you the story of the Passover, so you'll have to read that on your own, but I'll quickly remind you that the term Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread uh, was established all the way in the time of Moses. And if you remember when Moses was called of God to go into Egypt to bring the children of Israel out, he had given 10 plagues through the power of God. There was 10 plagues that Moses brought upon the land of Egypt in order to bring the children of Israel out. Nine of those plagues obviously were different sorts of things. They're very miraculous, a very amazing story. But if you remember that 10th plague was the plague where the angel of death came onto, uh, into uh, Egypt and the firstborn of every household was killed by the angel of death. Not only the firstborn of every human household, but even the firstborn of all cattle and all animals. The angel of death came through and he would go into every home, everywhere where life was in Egypt, and he would kill the firstborn. And of course, the children of Israel were instructed by Moses to take a lamb and to sacrifice the lamb and to take the blood from that lamb and to apply that blood and almost like painting the doorpost of their home when they applied the blood on the doorpost of the home then on that night when the angel of death would come if he saw the blood of the lamb on the doorpost that was a signal for them because they were covered by the blood that was a signal that they were the children of God that they were saved individuals and the angel of death would then pass over that house and the firstborn in that home would not be killed that's where the term Passover comes from the, he would pass over the home where the blood had been applied and of course you can preach a whole sermon on that and there's an entire illustration there regarding salvation the lamb represents the Lord Jesus Christ the doorpost represents the heart of a man and uh, the heart of women and we must apply the blood of Christ on 
to our uh, minds and hearts by faith and be covered in the blood of Christ in order that the judgment of God might pass over us. That's what happened in the Old Testament. For all these years, the children of Israel on a yearly basis had this Passover uh, celebration where they would sac sacrifice a lamb and they would go through these same, uh, uh, the, these same rituals remembering the Passover all the way back in the time of Moses that brought them deliverance and brought them out of Egypt. All right, are you all caught up? We just went for about 4,000 uh, years of history there in about 20 seconds. But I want you to understand the context. That's the context. Look at verse 1 again. Now the Feast of Unleavened Bread drew nigh, which is called the Passover. You understand what that's about, right? Look at verse 7. Then came the day of unleavened bread when the Passover must be killed. That's what we're talking about. Then we see verse number 8. And he, that's Jesus, sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare us. Now I want you to notice these two words. He said, go and prepare us the Passover. Go and prepare us the Passover that we may eat. So I want you to notice that the Passover is coming. In fact, the day of unleavened bread, when the Passover must be killed, is at hand. And Jesus sends Peter and John to go and to prepare the Passover. Now, I'm going to enlist the help of, of, of the men of the church, all right? I'm going to ask you to help me because I want you to notice that in the Bible, when something is repeated over and over again, it is not repeated because God is trying to uh, have a certain amount of word count on the chapter, right? It's not like he's writing an essay and it has to be uh, a thousand words or it has to be a certain amount of words, so he just adds a bunch of fluff. When something is repeated in the Bible, it is repeated for emphasis, it is repeated for a reason. It's repeated because of the fact that God wants you to notice it. So I'm going to ask the men of the church to help me, and I want you to read with me these two words when you see them in the passage. The two words are the Passover. Now I realize that some of you are going to have to get permission from your wives to do this, but for maybe the guys that um, are not married or the guys that have some hair on their legs, you can help me and say these words nice and loud, all right? Luke 22 and verse 8. And he sent Peter and John saying, go and prepare us, read these words with me, the Passover. Good. That was good for Presbyterians. Now let's read it like Baptists, all right? Go and prepare us. Read it together. The Passover. That was good. That we may eat. I just want you to notice it because I know that sometimes we get distracted and we don't see things. But I want you to notice that Jesus said, I want you to go and prepare the Passover. Look at verse 9. And they said unto him, Where wilt thou that we prepare? And he said unto them, Behold, when ye are entered into the city, there shall a man meet you, bearing a pitcher of water. Follow him into the house where he entereth in, and ye shall say unto the good man of the house, The master saith unto thee, Where is the guest chamber where I shall eat? Say it with me, the Passover with my disciples. Now is it clear that Jesus is intent on eating the Passover? Is it clear that Jesus is planning and organizing the eating of the Passover. Amen. Look at verse 12. And he shall show you a large upper room furnished. 
there make ready. And they went and found as he had said unto them, and they made ready. Notice the emphasis. Read it with me. They made ready the Passover. Verse 14. And when the hour was come, he sat down, and the twelve apostles with him, and he said unto them, with desire, I have desired to eat, read it with me, this Passover with you before I suffer. Now, I want you to notice, and I, and I hope you are seeing with me that I'm not reading into this passage other than what's written in the passage. He says, we're going to take the Passover. He says, I want to prepare for the Passover. He says, go find me a place to take the Passover. He says in verse 15, and he said unto them, with desire, I've desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer, for I say unto you, I will not any more eat thereof until it be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. He said, I'm going to eat this Passover, and then I'm not going to eat until I get to heaven, is pretty much what he's saying. And Jesus is asking them to prepare the Passover. He's asking them to get ready to take the Passover. He says, I want to eat this Passover with desire. I've desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. So here's the pop quiz, and it's not a trick question. What is Jesus planning and preparing to take all the men in the church? What is it? The Passover. I think that's clear. But then, wait a minute. Then, in verse number 17, Jesus does this. And he took the cup and gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say unto you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God shall come. And he took bread and gave thanks and break it and gave unto them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you, this do in remembrance of me. Now, if you're familiar with 1 Corinthians chapter number 11, when the Apostle Paul taught on the subject of communion or the Lord's Supper, those terms are used interchangeably, you'll recognize that the Apostle Paul quotes from the Lord Jesus Christ when it says here that he took the cup and he gave thanks. He took the bread and he broke it and he gave it unto them saying, this is my body which is given for you, this do in remembrance of me. In verses 17 and 18 and 19, the Lord Jesus Christ does something very peculiar and it's very peculiar when you understand the context in which he does it. Because in verses 1 through 16, there is one context one emphasis the passover is coming we've got to take the passover i want to take the passover go prepare the passover get ready for the passover with desire i've desired to eat this passover with you is what he says over and over and over again but then in verse 17 he does not participate or take the passover he instead establishes and institutes what we know today as the Lord's Supper. You say, what does this mean? And here's what I want you to understand. I want to give you three thoughts tonight, and maybe you can write these down so you can study them out on your own and so you can help maybe teach them to others at some other point. Point number one tonight is this. The Lord's Supper is a continuation of the Passover. Amen. For hundreds and thousands of years, the Old Testament taught the people of God to take a yearly celebration 
to, to have a feast once a year to remember when they shed the blood of a lamb and put it upon a doorpost. And on that night, when the, when the angel of death came, the judgment of God came, any house that had the blood, the, the angel passed over them, and they celebrated this Passover feast. They were supposed to take it. Sometimes they didn't. Sometimes they forgot about it. But they were supposed to do this Passover. Then they get to the New Testament. Jesus says, let's take the Passover. But then he institutes the Lord's Supper. What can we learn from this? What we can learn is that the Lord's Supper, the New Testament Lord's Supper ordinance or a communion is a continuation of the Old Testament Passover. So we see here at the establishing of the Lord's Supper, and I wanted to emphasize it for you because I don't want you to take my word for it. I want you to take the the word of God's word for it. At the institution of the Lord's Supper, we see that Jesus said, I want to take the Passover. Jesus said, let's prepare for the Passover. Jesus says, with desire, desire to have and to participate in this Passover with you. And then, instead, he institutes the Lord's Supper. You say, was Jesus being deceptive? Was Jesus lying? Was Jesus confused? No, Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. And he understood the fact that the Lord's Supper for New Testament believers, because remember, after the death of Christ, we talked about it this morning, the veil would be rent, the Levitical priesthood would be done with, the temple sacrifices would be done with, the temple system would be done with, and Jesus says, we're about getting ready to finish out and close out the Old Testament, we're going to be done with the Passover, but in the New Testament, there's going to be a New Testament equivalent and continuation of the Old Testament Passover, and it's called the Lord's Supper. It's called the communion. And by the way, there are correlations, and I won't get ahead of myself, but I'll show you that there are obviously correlations between the Passover and the Lord's Supper. Jesus establishes the Lord's Supper. Now, let's just very quickly, let me, let's talk about the timing of the Lord's Supper. And to me, this is not a very controversial thing, but sometimes this can be controversial among Baptists. I think Baptists just like to fight. Someone said, if you get three Baptists together, you'll have four opinions, and that's usually the case. So Baptists sometimes like to make a big deal about the timing of the Lord's Supper. And let me just give you some thoughts regarding the timing of the Lord's Supper. Go to Exodus, if you would, Exodus chapter 12. Second book in the Bible should be fairly easy to find, Genesis, then the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 12. Do me a favor, put a ribbon or a bookmark or something there in Exodus, because we're going to leave it, and we're going to come back to it. And I'd like you to be able to get to it quickly. Exodus chapter 12. I want you to notice in verse number 1. Now in Exodus 12 and verse 1, we do not have the story of the Passover. But we do have the instructions given to the children of Israel regarding the Passover. I want you to just notice what the Bible says about the Passover. Exodus 12 and verse 1. And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be unto you the beginning of months. God told Moses this month, the month that they happened to be in, which is the month Abib in the Bible, that's what we're told. He said, this is going to be now the first month of the year for you. This was their January. This month shall be unto unto you the beginning of months. By the way, little FYI, just something interesting, that month in which they celebrated the Passover was the beginning of the year. It was not equivalent to our January, it would be equivalent to our April, when we're 
taking the Lord's Supper. For a long time, April was actually the beginning of the year. And of course, it was the Roman Catholic Church that changed the calendar and pushed it back to January being the beginning of the year. And because there were some people who did not like the Roman Catholic Church and said, I'm not going to listen to the Pope. I'm not going to get on his calendar. By the way, I don't think it's a big deal. All right. I don't take the stance. I'm just telling you. There were some people that so despised the Roman Catholic Church. They said, I refuse to take uh, to, to get on board with their new calendar system. I'm not going to celebrate the beginning of the year on January 1st, like I'm being told. I'm going to continue to celebrate the beginning of the year on April 1st. And those people were ridiculed, and they were called April Fools. So just if you're interested, the Bible is in the center of everything. In Exodus 12 and verse 1, the Bible says, And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, this month shall be unto you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak ye unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month they shall take to them every man a lamb according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for an house. What I want you to notice is that the Passover was a yearly event. It was to be done in the month of the beginning of months, in the first uh, 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 month of the year to you, he said, in the 10th day of this month, and he gives them this date, and he says, this is what I want you to take the Passover. Now, we've already seen from the Bible that the Lord's Supper, communion, is the New Testament equivalent or continuation of the Old Testament Passover. And here's all I want to say. Let me give you some statements regarding the timing of the Lord's Supper and why we do it the way we do it here at Verity Baptist Church. Number one, since the Lord's Supper is the New Testament continuation of the Old Testament Passover, and since the Passover was taken on a yearly basis or once a year, we have chosen here at Verity Baptist Church to continue that and to take the Lord's Supper once a year. Amen. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter number 11. Keep your place in Exodus, and, and, and we're going to go back to Luke, of course. Go to 1 Corinthians 11. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Let me show you something else about the Lord's Supper. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 11, 23, this is the Apostle Paul speaking under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost regarding the communion or the Lord's Supper. He says, For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord, notice what he says, the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. Now we already know that we've been studying Luke. He says, I want to take the, Lord, the Passover. He institutes the Lord's Supper. Then he leaves the Lord's Supper, goes to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. He's arrested at the Garden of Gethsemane, and that same night he is betrayed. That's what Paul's talking about. I, for I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. Here's another statement for you. Regarding the timing of the Lord's Supper, I said, number one, since the Lord's Supper is the New Testament continuation of the Old Testament Passover, and the Passover is taken once a year, we've decided here to take the Lord's Supper once a year. Number two, since the Lord's Supper was instituted by Jesus right before his death, burial, and resurrection, so we have also chosen to take the Lord's Supper at the time when we are to remember his death and celebrate his resurrection. 
Easter is obviously the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we have chosen on the Wednesday night before Easter to partake of the Lord's Supper because, of course, we know that before he resurrected, he died. And if we're going to celebrate the resurrection of Christ, then we also want to remember the death and sacrifice of our Savior. And since Jesus did it right before his death, burial, and resurrection, then we've chosen to do it right before we celebrate his death, burial, and resurrection. So we do it once a year. We do it right before Easter. Let me give you another thought regarding the timing. 1 Corinthians 11, look at verse 24. And when he had given thanks, we're going to come back to these verses and look at them in a minute, but I just want you to see it. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. That's literally a quote from Luke 22. After the same manner also he took the cup, when he had stopped saying, This cup is a new testament in my blood, this do ye... Why don't you notice this little phrase, as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. Verse 26, for as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. Let me speak to you just real quickly about this phrase, this little clause, the as often as ye, or as oft as ye uh, clause. And let me uh, say this, the Apostle Paul says here, that as often as ye drink it, he says, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. This is a quote from Jesus. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till they come. Let me just explain a couple of things. First of all, some people take this phrase, as oft as ye, or as often as ye, to mean that you can do it as often as you want. You can do the Lord's Supper as many times as you want, as often as you want. And to be very honest with you, I don't care. I don't have a problem with people doing that. That is not my position necessarily, but I'm not going to fight with somebody about that. Somebody wants to take the Lord's Supper once a month. If somebody wants to take the Lord's Supper once a quarter, if somebody wants to take the Lord's Supper, uh, you know, every 15 weeks, whatever, it doesn't make a difference to me. I think we're independent Baptists and everybody should be allowed to do whatever they want. So some people... Take this phrasing as oft as ye, and they say, well, see, the Bible says that you can do it as often as you want. I mean, you can do it every week if you want. Now, I, I do kind of take a problem with that. The Roman Catholic Church does have people take it every week, but that's because they don't believe in communion the way the Bible teaches it. They believe it's, it's a sacrament and it's part of salvation. So they take it every week because they think they're getting saved every week, you know, because they got drunk the night before. So you got to take the Lord's Supper and get saved. Obviously, if you're doing it to get saved, I have a problem with that. But if you understand that it's, it's ceremonial, it represents something, and you want to do it once a month, once a quarter, and when I say when you, I'm not talking about you, I'm talking about Baptist churches. Um, other churches want to do it once a month, once a quarter, whatever. I don't have a problem with that. If they say, well, it says as often as, so we can do it as often as. I don't necessarily believe that, but I don't have a problem with that. That is, to me, that is not an issue of contention. However, let me just explain to you my interpretation of the phrase as oft as or as often as. When you actually read it within the context, I think you might see that what's being said here is after the same manner also he took the cup when he had uh, subbed saying this cup is the New Testament of my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it. And I want you to notice when he says as oft as ye drink it, that is not a phrase that is just independently placed there. 
It's not like it's verse 25 and then verse 26. As often as you want to do this, go ahead and do this. That's not what it says. It says this cup, this juice, is a representation of the New Testament in my blood, is what Jesus is saying. He says, this do ye as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Now, someone could take that to say, that means you can do it as often as you want. And if somebody wants to believe that, I don't have a problem with that. I'm not going to fight with people about that. I I really could not care less. But if you look at the wording, I believe what is being taught here is not that you can do it as often as you want, but what he's saying is, when you do it, as often as you do it, do it in remembrance of me. He was saying, this isn't just a meal. Because if you understand the context of 1 Corinthians 11, the Apostle Paul is actually correcting the church at Corinth because they have, they have turned communion into a potluck. And they were all coming and eating, and he says, don't you have houses to eat in? This isn't a potluck. This isn't a meal where we're just all getting together and fellowshipping. So he says, keep in mind that this is special. As often as you drink it, do it in remembrance of me. Look at verse 26. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. So I don't believe he's saying, do it as often as you want. I think he's saying, when you do it, you do show the Lord's death till he come. As often as you do it, do it to show the remembrance of the Lord's death. Now, if you disagree with me and you take a different position, that's okay. I really don't want to talk about it. Um, I don't care, honestly. It doesn't, it doesn't offend me. It doesn't make a difference. And I'm the pastor, so we'll do it the way I want. <laughs> um, let me say this, too. Sometimes people get really hung up on these dates. And sometimes I teach this, and then people are like, we got to figure out the exact date when Jesus was actually crucified. Let's not do it on, on Wednesday. Let's do it on Tuesday. Or let's do it on Thursday. Or let's do it on this. And let's do it on that. Look, don't get too caught up on the dates. I won't take the time to go through it, but if you want to jot this down for your own uh, notes, in Numbers chapter 9, verses 1 through 11, and 2 Chronicles chapter 30, verses 1 through 20, we have a story where certain people were not able to participate in the partaking of the Passover because they hadn't met certain qualifications, and God just allowed them to do it the next month. They, they come, and they're like, hey, we're supposed to take the Passover. It's time for the Passover, but we're not ready to do it. And they're kind of all freaking out. And then God tells them, just do it next month. So God doesn't seem to be too hung up on dates, and neither should we. It's not, it's not a big deal. The point is, when you do it, make sure you do it properly to remember the sacrifice of Christ. If you want to take the position that you do it once a month, once a quarter, once every other week, it doesn't make a difference to me. What we've chosen uh, here is to do it uh, once a year. Now, let me just say one, one last thing on once a year, and then I'll move off of that, and we'll go back to teaching on the Lord's Supper. But let me just give you some justifications for once a year, Lord's Supper. Because I don't know why, but people just love to argue about this. Like, I promise you, I will get emails about this, and I will not answer them. But uh, some Brother Oliver will. <laughs> if I'm right about what I've taught you so far, and the Lord's Supper is the New Testament continuation of the once-a-year Passover, and the as-oft-as-ye phrase doesn't mean you can take it as often as you want, but it means that when you do it, as often as you do it, make sure you do it in remembrance of me. If I'm right, and the Lord's Supper is actually meant to be taken once a year, then we're good to go, right? Praise the Lord. We've done it consistently once a year, and we're good to go. If I'm wrong, 
because that's a possibility. If I'm wrong, and it's meant to be done whenever you want, then we're still good to go. Do you understand that? Because people, like, people, people will argue with me about this. It, it doesn't say once a year. It says as often as you want. So you need to do it once a month. And I think to myself, well, if it's as often as I want, can I do it once a year? <laughs> and all I'm saying is this. If I'm wrong, if I'm right, we're good. And if I'm wrong, we're still good. So let's not argue about it, and let's just go soul winning. How about that? Amen. The whole point is to remember Jesus' death and sacrifice. And here's what I found. Because I grew up being a Baptist, and I went to churches that did it once a month. I went to churches that did it once a quarter. I, did, I went to churches that did it all the time. And you know what it usually was when people did it? They were just trying to get through it as quickly as possible. It was this thing where they just kind of tagged it on at the end of the Sunday night service, and they're like, let's just get this thing on the road. we got to do this once a month. But you know what I found at our church is that because we do the Lord's Supper once a year, and we take an entire service to just do it and to do it properly, it's one of the sweetest... One of the most somber, one of the most, I mean, I, I think out of all the things we do around here, the Lord's Supper probably gets more compliments as to how well and tactful it's done. And I just think that doing it once a year just kind of makes it very special. Amen. Now, I will say this, there, there's more of a biblical argument to do it once a year than there is to do it once a quarter. Show me that in the Bible, where they were supposed to do it once a month. But if people want to do it once a month or once a quarter or whenever, every six months, that doesn't make a difference to me. God bless them. I don't mind it. Um, but we do it here once a year, and either way, I think we're good to go. If I'm right, then we're good. If I'm wrong, then we're still good. If, you, if I'm wrong, then we can do it whenever we want, so we'll do it once a year. Number one, the Lord's Supper is a continuation of the Passover. Number two, go back to Luke 22 if you would. Keep your place in 1 Corinthians 11. I'd like you to keep your place in Exodus 12, 1 Corinthians 11. We're going to be going to those passages. Those are all, the only passages that we'll be going to. Um, I think the other ones I'll just read to you. If you're taking notes tonight, the first point is this. The Lord's Supper is a continuation of the Passover. Here's point number two. The Lord's Supper is a picture of the sacrifice of Christ. In Luke 22 and verse 19, the Bible says this, And he took bread and gave thanks and brake it and gave unto them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you, this do in remembrance of me. When Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, he instituted the Lord's Supper to be symbolic, to be a picture and when he took the bread, the bread is to represent the broken body of Jesus Christ. So on Wednesday night, when we show up and we receive the Lord's Supper, on Wednesday night, we'll have a singing service like we normally do. And then we'll have a short sermon from the Word of God on the burial of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then we will spend probably half of the service receiving and participating as a congregation taking the Lord's Supper. And when we do that, we're going to, just again, just to help you out, because some of you maybe haven't been to our church or haven't done it at our church, what we're going to do is we're going to do our best to follow the method by which Jesus 
actually partook of the Lord's Supper in the way that it's explained in Scripture, we're going to do it to the best of our ability exactly how it's to be done. One of the things that is to be done is that we are to break the bread. Notice there in verse 19, and he took bread and gave thanks and break it. So he took bread and he ripped it. He broke it and gave it unto them saying, this bread that I just broke is my body which is given for you this do in remembrance of me. See, the bread represents and it's supposed to represent the broken body of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, when I was growing up, and I'm not criticizing the churches I grew up with. They were great churches, and, and they just did it differently, and that's fine. But when I was growing up, and you partook of the Lord's Supper, the way that you did the Lord's Supper is they, they would pass out these little uh, breads, and they look like little Tic Tacs, you know, just perfectly cut pieces of bread. And, you know, we don't do that here. You'll notice when we partake of the Lord's Supper, I literally physically pick up a piece of bread and rip it apart. Because that's the whole point. To actually break the bread as a picture of the broken body. When Jesus was crucified, he wasn't just like these perfect little squares. You know? His body was mutilated. It was broken. That's what we're remembering. So you'll actually have a little piece of bread that's ripped up. It looks ripped. It looks broken. It doesn't look as professional as the tiny little squares, but that's the whole point. It's the broken body of Christ. Go to 1 Corinthians 11. And again, look, don't leave here and start criticizing attacking other churches. That's not the point of this. The point of this is not to criticize other churches. The point of this is a meeting of the Verity Baptist Church, and your pastor is explaining to you, hey, we're going to take the Lord's Supper. I want you to be ready and understand what we're going to do. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23. For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he brake it and said, Take ye, this is my body, which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. So you'll notice that the bread represents the broken body of Christ. But then secondly, uh, you're there in, Luke, in 1 Corinthians 11, look at verse 25. After the same manner also he took the cup, when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. Go back to Luke 22. Look at verse 20. Luke 22 and verse 20. Likewise also the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you. What Jesus did was he took the juice and poured it into a cup. And that pouring was to picture or symbolize the shedding of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. That's right. So the pouring of the cup is meant to uh, show and illustrate the shedding of his blood. So you'll notice on Wednesday night. We'll have men here that will help pass out the bread and cups with juice. And I will actually pour some of the juice because the purpose is to show the shedding of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Go back to Exodus chapter 12. Remember, keep your place in 1 Corinthians 11, Exodus 12, Luke 22. Those are the only places we're going to go tonight. Any, anywhere else, I'll just read for you. Exodus chapter 12. Let me just real quickly show you the correlations between the Passover and the Lord's Supper. In Exodus chapter 12 and verse 6, when Moses established the Passover, 
He told the children of Israel, and he shall keep it up until the 14th day of the same month, and the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening, and they shall take the blood and strike it on the two side posts of the upper doorpost of the house, wherein they shall eat it. So they were supposed to take the blood and put it on the doorpost as part of the Passover. So the blood of the lamb pictured the blood of the Lamb of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. In the Lord's Supper, we take the juice and we pour it as a picture of the shedding of the blood. So notice how both the Passover and the Lord's Supper both have something that pictures the blood of Christ. Then look at verse 8, Exodus 12 and verse 8. And they shall eat the flesh in that night, roast with fire, and unleavened bread, and with bitter herbs they shall eat it. At the Passover, they were supposed to eat unleavened bread. At the Lord's Supper, we eat unleavened bread. Both of these are a representation of the Lord Jesus Christ, the body of Christ, the bread of life, the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice that both the Passover and the Lord's Supper have something that pictures the blood. Both include unleavened bread. By the way, I got a lot of material, and I don't have a lot of time to get on these rabbit tails, but let me just answer a few questions because people ask the questions. We use juice. We do not use alcohol, uh, alcoholic wine. And I don't have time to get into that, but in the Bible, they use, the, the word wine is used for both uh, juice and alcohol. When you look at the Lord's Supper, you never see the word wine. He keeps calling it the cup. Now, it was wine because it was from a grape, but it's, it's grape juice. We don't use alcohol uh, and, and it doesn't even make sense because you're supposed to use unleavened bread, which is bread without yeast, but then we're supposed to put yeast in that, in that uh, grape juice and let it ferment and drink it. The whole point, the fermentation and the yeast and the leaven all pictures sin. Did you know that? That alcohol pictures sin in the Bible? So we don't use, you know, we're not going to be like the Roman Catholic Church passing out bunch of wine to people. We'll use Welch's grape juice. It'll be organic. And, uh, and, and, and that'll be good to go. Both the Lord's Supper and the Passover have something that symbolizes the blood. Both have the bread. But there is one major difference from the Old Testament Passover to the New Testament Lord's Supper, and it is the lamb. In Exodus 12 and verse 3, the Bible says... This is the Passover, speaking unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of the month they shall take to them every man a lamb, according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for an house. Look at verse 8. And they shall eat the flesh in that night, roast with fire and unleavened bread, and with bitter herbs they shall eat it. So they were supposed to actually eat a lamb. We, at the Lord's Supper, do not eat a lamb. You say, why? Because the Lord Jesus Christ is the lamb. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. You were in chapter 11. Go to chapter 5. While you turn there, let me read to you from John 1.29. The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. 1 Corinthians 5 and verse 7. Purge out therefore the old leaven. Remember, you're not supposed to take it with leaven. That ye may be a new lump, as ye are unleavened. Look at what it says, 1 Corinthians 5.7. For even Christ... Our Passover is sacrificed for us. A major difference between the Passover 
and the Lord's Supper is that one was done in the Old Testament or under the Old Covenant, the other is done in the New Testament or under the New Covenant. Well, a major difference between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant is that in the New Covenant, all the sacrifices have been done away with. There's no sacrificing of animals. There's no sacrifice. There's no temple rituals. There's no washings. There's no keeping of the Sabbath day in the New Testament. So you'll notice that the major difference between the Passover and the Lord's Supper is the fact that in the Old Testament, they ate the unleavened bread. They had the blood that represented the blood of Christ. Then they also sacrificed the lamb, obviously, to get the blood. And then they ate the lamb. In the New Testament, we take the bread. We have the cup that represents the blood. But we don't eat a lamb because that would be sacrilege because we don't sacrifice animals anymore under the new covenant because Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Amen. So we see the correlations between the two and the fact that they are connected. But I want you to understand that the Lord's Supper is a picture of the sacrifice of Christ. The bread represents the broken body of Christ and the cup represents the shedding of the blood of Christ. Amen. Go back to Luke 22. Let me give you the third point. I said, number one, the Lord's Supper is a continuation of the Passover. The New Testament communion is a continuation of the Old Testament Passover. Number two, the Lord's Supper is a picture of the sacrifice of Christ. The bread represents the broken, the breaking of the body of Christ, and the cup represents the shedding of the blood of Christ. Here's point number three. The Lord's Supper is an ordinance of the church. Amen. The Lord's Supper is an ordinance of the church. Let me show this to you. In Luke 22 and verse 19, Jesus said, the Bible says, and he took the bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave unto them, saying, this is my body which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. This was something that was instituted to remember the death and the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you ever read the Old Testament, you'll notice that the Old Testament is filled with memorials. All throughout the Old Testament, they would be setting up stones as memorials. And they would say, you know, why are we setting up these stones? And they would say, when our children ask what these stones are about, then we could tell them and we could remind them and we could remember about when we cross over on dry ground. We could remember uh, this great victory and that great victory. All throughout the Old Testament, these memorials were created. And then we have, of course, the ceremonial law, which was full of memorials. In fact, all throughout the Old Testament, and I'm not going to take the time to, to do this tonight because I don't have the time to do it. You can do it on your own if you'd like. But throughout the Bible, throughout the Old Testament, we are told about these ordinances. We're told the Old Testament law is filled of ordinances, and an ordinance, sometimes people get confused because they try to interpret the Bible, which is the Word of God, but it's, it's also an ancient book, and they try to uh, interpret it by our modern thinking. So people see the word ordinance, and they think that it's like a law, like in the United States of America, like cities have ordinances, okay? If that's how you study and interpret the Bible, you're not very good at this. Okay, it's not talking about the ordinances of the city of Citrus Heights when the Bible uses the word ordinance. An ordinance in the Bible, the word ordinance is used to reference a symbolic, a ceremonial, a religious ritual 
that represent something. So the Old Testament and the Old Testament law was divided into two sections. You have what we call the ceremonial law or ordinances, and then you have what's the civil or criminal law. Okay, so the Old Testament, you have all these laws that are moral laws. God is telling you, don't commit adultery. God is telling you, don't kill your neighbor. God is telling you, don't do this, don't do that. That's civil or criminal law. But then he has all these other laws where he says, I want you to not work on the Sabbath day. I want you to sacrifice a lamb on the 10th day of the first month of the year and eat it. You understand that? The ordinances and the ceremonial law, the book of Hebrews tells us, were all symbolic of the coming of Christ. The Sabbath days, the washings, the sacrifices, all of those pictured or foreshadowed the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us in the book of Colossians that when Jesus died, he nailed the ordinances on the cross. The same thing we saw this morning where he ripped the veil of the temple when we got rid of the law. He didn't get rid of thou shalt not commit adultery. That one still applies. You know what he got rid of? The sacrifices. You know what he got rid of? The ceremonial stuff. You know what he got rid of? The ordinances which were things that were symbolic. They were memorials. They were ceremonial religious rituals certain holidays or holy days feasts things that has nothing to do with moral law do you understand that that's why people always tell me but god he got rid of when he got rid of the ordinances he got rid of the law no you know what he still doesn't want you to go to bed with your aunt sorry hate to break it to you that's still weird all the moral law he still doesn't want you to kill he still doesn't want you to steal he still doesn't want you to do any of that But you know what he doesn't want you to do? It's to sacrifice a lamb anymore. You know what he doesn't want you to do? It's to to practice the Sabbath day anymore. Those things, those ordinances, have been done away with. Now, it should be fairly easy to understand an ordinance from the Old Testament perspective because it's full of them. I mean, read the first 10 chapters of Leviticus. It's all symbolic pictures. You take two birds, you kill one, and wring out the blood, you let the other one go free. I mean, even a child can figure that out. That's a picture of salvation. That's what we've been learning about with Jesus. One takes the punishment while the other goes free. All of that is symbolic. And all of that has been done away because it's been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Now, hopefully you understand that from the Old Testament. But wait a minute. There's a couple of ordinances in the New Testament. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, look at verse 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 2. Now, I praise you, brethren. Now, remember in Luke twenty two nineteen, 19, Jesus said, This do ye in remembrance of me. In 1 Corinthians eleven two, 2, the Bible says, Now, I praise you, brethren, that ye remember me in all things. So remember, an ordinance is meant to be done as a memorial, something symbolic to remember. That ye remember me in all things and keep... The, notice the words, we're in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians eleven two. 2, keep the ordinances as I delivered them to you. So Paul says, I want you to keep the ordinances, what's an ordinance? And look, 
I promise you, if you do not believe me, get your head out of a commentary and get your head out of all the radio and TV preachers and actually open up a King James Bible and look up every time the word ordinance is used throughout the King James Bible and you know what you'll find every single time? It's symbolic. So Paul says that you remember me in all things and keep the ordinances as I delivered them to you. Now, the argument against what I'm going to tell you, because some people don't believe this. Can you believe that? <laughs> some people don't believe everything your pastor believes. That's okay. That's why we have independent churches. The argument, because so I'm going to give you the argument against what I believe so you can make your own decision. The argument against what I'm about to teach you is that Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, 20, 11 2, that you keep the ordinances as I, as I delivered them to you. But then he doesn't start talking about the Lord's Supper until verse 23. And between verses... Uh, 3 and verse 22, he goes off on this rabbit trail about getting a haircut. Men not having long hair, and women having long hair, men having short hair, and he goes on this rabbit trail. Now, I'm not going to argue. Look, I never argue the Bible. Yes, it is true that between verse 2, when he mentions the ordinances that I delivered to you, and verse 23, when he starts talking about the Lord's Supper, there's this rabbit trail about haircuts. You know, what does that mean? I don't know. Maybe it means that getting a haircut is an ordinance. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that's a possibility. Maybe Paul is like the average Baptist preacher and just got off on a rabbit's trail. And as he was writing, he saw a guy walk by with long hair, and he does what the average Baptist preacher does, and he just got on some rabbit's trail about, get a haircut, you hippie! Yeah. And then he's like, all right, go back. I don't know. I don't know why. But what I can tell you is that I believe verse 2 is connected to verse 23, and I'll prove it to you. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-two. I praise you, brethren, that ye remember, remember that word, remember, me in all things, and keep the ordinances as I delivered. Remember that word, delivered them to you. So he says, I want you to remember, and I want you to keep the ordinances as I delivered them to you. Then, granted, he goes off on some rabbit trail about haircuts, and all I can say about, about that is this, men, get your hair cut. Amen. Don't have a long hair like a girl. Don't let your kids have long, wispy hair like a female, all right? Men have short hair, praise God. Doth not nature self teach you? That's what Paul says. Then in verse 23, he says, For I have received of the Lord that which also I... Don't miss it. Deliver it unto you. Amen. Now look at the last part of verse 2. As I delivered them to you. Now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things, and keep the ordinances as I delivered them to you. Verse 23. For I received the Lord that which also I delivered unto you. Why Paul got distracted, I don't know. You can ask him or the Holy Spirit of God when you get to heaven. But here's what I'm telling you. When he gets back to verse 20, when he gets to verse 23, he's like, all right. Remember that thing that I delivered unto you? The ordinances? That the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. He says that I want you to keep the ordinances as I delivered them to you. Then in verse 23, he says, For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you. And then he begins to give them instructions about the Lord's Supper. So the Lord's Supper is an ordinance. And if you understand what an ordinance is, that it's symbolic, then you would understand that the New Testament church has ordinances. You say, what are they? Well, one, of course, is the one we're learning about tonight, the Lord's Supper 
is a symbolic ritual. You don't have to take it to be saved. You don't have to take it to get saved. But it just symbolizes the death, the breaking of the body of Christ, and the shedding of his blood. It's symbolic of what we believe. Here's another ordinance for you. Baptism. You don't have to get baptized to be saved. We just saw this morning the thief on the cross when he got saved. He didn't get off that cross and got baptized. Baptism is not required for salvation. But yet we are commanded to perform baptisms. Why? Because it is a picture. When somebody gets in that baptistry and they are sitting there or standing upright in the water, the water crosses their body and it pictures the cross. When they go down under the water, it is a picture of the death. When they come up out of the water, it is a picture of the resurrection. Baptism doesn't save you. Baptism has nothing to do with your salvation. All it does, it gets you wet. But it is symbolic of the fact that we believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. It is symbolic of the fact that we believe that one day when we die because we are in Christ, we will be resurrected. So if you understand that an ordinance is simply a religious ritual, like baptism or Lord's Supper, that symbolizes something that we believe, you see that all throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, there's a couple of them, the Lord's Supper and baptism. And, and some people might make the argument that anointing with oil is, is an ordinance as well, and I won't, I won't get into that. Go back to Exodus 12. So we see that the Lord's Supper is an ordinance. Now the reason that I make that, I want to make that clear is because this is something that is to be done through the church. They are ordinances of the church. Now look, please understand something. We are independent Baptists. What that means is that every church is autonomous. And, and for whatever reason, God brought you here and God gave you this pastor. And this is, the, this is the pastor you're stuck with. Till one of you kills me, this is it. So, and these are the beliefs that we have. Now, other churches do different things. I'm just telling you here, our position at Verity Baptist Church is that baptisms and the Lord's Supper are ordinances of the church. See if you can figure this one out. They're ordinances of the church, which means they should be done by ordained ministers. Amen. Isn't that a coincidence? So no, I'm not okay with you baptizing your wife or your kids at home. That's weird, Joseph Smith. Okay? And I'm not okay with people taking the Lord's Supper at home. Now, other pastors are, and that's fine. I don't have a problem with that. Other pastors do whatever they want in their churches, and I respect that, and God bless them. But I'm just telling you what we believe here at Verity Baptist Church is that ordinances are to be done by ordained ministers. And the Lord's Supper is an ordinance. Baptism is an ordinance. So it is something that is to be done through the church. Let me say this as well. And I got to move quickly, but let me just answer it because I'm going to get the questions. So let me just answer it. Not only is it something that is to be done through the church, but it is something that is to be done with the church. Now, there are those who make the argument that this is something that can be done outside of the church with private people, you don't need an ordained minister, you don't need that, or, or maybe you do need an ordained minister, but you can do it privately outside the church, and look, do not leave here, because look, I, I have good friends who believe different than I do on this, and I'm telling you, I love them, and I respect them, and I don't, I don't fight with them about this, 
This is, I'm preaching this to you. Don't, don't go and make clips of this and email it to Pat. What do you think about this? Um, that is, they can do what they want in their local church. We're independent Baptists. Isn't that great? Amen. We're autonomous churches, and we can differ, and that's okay. But we believe here that this is to be done within the church. And I proved to you from 1 Corinthians 11 that it's an ordinance. And ordinances are to be done with ordained ministers through the local church. They are also to be done, in my opinion, with the local church. Now, go to Exodus 12. Look at verse 5. And here's the arguments, right? Because some of you are going to ask me this, so I'm just going to answer. The argument is, well, the lamb was eaten privately during the Passover. So, therefore, I should be able to just take the Lord's Supper at my house by myself. And you're right. The lamb was eaten, eaten privately. Look at Exodus 12, verse 5. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male the first year. You shall take it out from the sheep or from the goat, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. And the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. So this is just like the death of Christ. The whole assembly got together, and they killed their lamb at the same time. Verse 7. And they shall take the blood and strike it on the two side posts and on the upper door posts of the house wherein they shall eat it. Right? So the whole assembly comes together. They kill the Passover. They all have a lamb for their house or for the people in their houses. If their house was small, then they could gather with another house and they had a lamb to be able to feed that many people. They all came together. They killed the lamb. That was done as a congregation, and that picture of the fact that Jesus, what we've been learning, the entire city of Jerusalem comes out and puts him to death. But then they are supposed to go home and apply the blood on the doorpost of their house. Verse 7, and they shall take the blood and strike it on the side, two side posts and on the upper doorpost of the houses wherein they shall eat it. So notice they put the blood on the doorpost because remember the angel supposed to pass over and they eat the lamb in the house wherein they shall eat it. So look, the lamb was eaten privately at home. No arguments from me. In fact, I think it's a beautiful illustration of the fact that you can't go to church and get saved. Salvation is something that you must do privately, that you must do personally. You don't get saved because you're part of this congregation. You get saved if the blood of Christ is applied on the doorpost of your house. Amen. It must be personal, and it must be private to you. So no issues with that. The lamb was eaten privately at home. But we don't sacrifice the lamb at the Lord's Supper. What we do is we eat the bread. Notice what they did with the bread, Exodus 12, verse 28. And the children of Israel went away and did as the Lord had commanded Moses, and Aaron, so did they. This is referring to the fact that they killed the lamb and they put the blood on the, on the doorpost. Verse 29, and it came to pass that at midnight the Lord smote all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, and the firstborn of Pharaoh sat on his house, uh, excuse me, on his throne unto the firstborn of the captive that was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of cattle. So this is where the, the angel Lord comes and he, he kills all the firstborn from the firstborn of Pharaoh that sat on his throne unto the firstborn of the captives. Verse 34. And the people took their dough before it was leavened. 
Now, remember, we saw at the beginning of the sermon, and we're going to be done in like two minutes, two 20 minutes. We'll be done, all right? Just, just kidding. We'll be done soon, I promise. Remember at the beginning, remember all the way at the beginning of the sermon when we saw that the Passover is called the Feast of Unleavened Bread? Why was it called that? Well, here's the answer Exodus 12, 34. 34. And the people took their dough before it was leavened. Now, they were cooking with, they were going to put leaven in it. They were going to bake bread like they normally would. But what happened was that as they were doing this Passover, they got busy eating the lamb. And when they went to put the bread in the oven, by then, the angel Lord had already killed the firstborns of the house. Pharaoh had realized that his son was dead. And Pharaoh and the rest of Egypt kicked the children of Israel out. Look at verse 34. And the people took their dough before it was leavened, and their kneading troughs being bound up in their clothes upon their shoulders. Why did they take it all? Why didn't they take the time to let it leaven, to leaven it, to let it bake? Why did they take it before it was leavened? It was bound up in their clothes. Verse 37. And the children of Israel journeyed from Ramesses to Succoth about 600,000 on foot. So let me ask you a question. Was this private? or public? Was it personal or congregational? 600,000 on foot. That's a lot of people. And the children of Israel journeyed from Ramesses to Sukkoth, about 600,000 on foot that were men beside children and a mixed multitude that says, that's telling us it's men, women, and children, went up also with them and flocks and herds and very much cattle and they baked unleavened cakes of the dough which they brought forth out of Egypt, for it was not leavened because they were thrust out of Egypt and could not tarry. You see that? They got kicked out before they could leaven the bread, so they just took it with them and they ate unleavened bread. But they ate it as a congregation. They ate it together. And the feast was then known as the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So what we see is that though the lamb was eaten privately, the bread was eaten collectively. They did it as a congregation. And that matches the New Testament. Because, you know, as a New Testament pastor, what I need you to understand is that you can't have my lamb. You've got to, you've got to accept your own lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ. Personally and privately. But once you're saved... We can collectively eat of the unleavened bread, Amen. symbolic Amen. of the death of Christ. Let me just real quickly talk about this. Let's talk about what the Lord's Supper is not. You go, go back to 1 Corinthians 11, and we'll finish up. The Lord's Supper is not sacraments. You live in the city of Sacramento. It's called Sacramento, named after sacraments, because California you know, was invaded by Catholics or whatever. And a sacrament is something that someone does for salvation. And they say, the, the, the Catholics will teach that you have to take communion to be saved. And that is not true. You don't need to take the Lord's Supper to be saved. You only take the Lord's Supper to show that you are saved. Just like you don't need to get baptized to be saved. You get baptized to show that you are saved. Let me say this. It is not transubstantiation. Again, literally, the Roman Catholic Church will teach that uh, the, the, the bread will literally become the body of Christ in your stomach as you digest it, and the blood will become, the wine will become the blood of Jesus. And look, that's weird. That's cannibalism. The Bible does not teach that. Right. 
And I don't have time to get into all that. Maybe I'll preach another sermon on that sometime. Let me just give you some closing thoughts regarding the Lord's Supper. And hopefully you understand the Lord's Supper now. The Lord's Supper is a continuation of the Passover. The Lord's Supper is a picture of the sacrifice of Christ. And the Lord's Supper is an, ur- an ordinance of the church. Because it is a continuation of the Passover, we've chosen to do it once a year, like the Passover. And because it was established right before the death of burial and resurrection of Christ, we've chosen to do it right before we remember the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because it is a picture, we understand that the bread pictures the broken body of Christ, the cup pictures the shedding of the blood, and because it is an ordinance, it is to be done through the church and with the church. Now let me just give you some thoughts real quickly on on the Lord's Supper, just some closing thoughts, and these are just questions that, that we get, and I want you to understand it just kind of by way of conclusion. Number one, we do not encourage you to invite guests to the Lord's Supper. Let me say that again. We do not encourage you to invite guests to the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is for saved people. Now, if you have a saved loved one that you want to invite, then by all means, invite them. But this is not the service where we want to start just inviting a bunch of guests. We have a service for that. It's called Easter. But the Lord's Supper is something to be done with the congregation. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty seven says, Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord, notice this word, unworthily. The word unworthily means not suitable, not fit, not appropriately, shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. So the Bible says, you don't want to just take this, the Lord's Supper, like, oh, I'm just, oh, they're passing out juice and bread? Yeah, I just want a snack. Sure, I'll take some of that. No, no, no. This will be, it's supposed to be done reverently, purposefully. So this is not something we just want to invite. Because something says our Lord's Supper service is so awesome that people often, they're like, oh, I invited all my friends. I invited all my family. I invited everybody to come to the Lord's Supper. Hey, invite them to Easter. Let's get them saved, and then you can bring them next year to the Lord's Supper. But you don't want to bring people that might eat of the bread or drink of the cup of the Lord unworthily. You say, why? Because look at verse 29. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. Look at verse 30. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. Paul said that people in the church of Corinth were taking the Lord's Supper unworthily and God was making them weak and God was making them sick and God was killing some of them, he said, and many sleep. He's referring to the fact that they were killing them. So this is why I'm telling you, don't invite unsaved people to the Lord's Supper. If they take it unworthily, God might kill them. Or maybe invite someone that you don't like. I don't know. (laughs) Maybe that's your plan. You're like, I'm inviting my ex-wife. Come, come take the Lord's Supper. I, I don't know. Maybe that's, what, maybe that's what you're thinking. But the point is this. It's for saved people. So it's not something where we're like, hey, everybody, come to the Lord's Supper. Let's take the Lord's Supper. No, no, it's for saved people. Now, if you have a saved loved one, a saved friend, a saved family member, bring them and participate in the Lord's Supper. But if you want to invite all your coworkers, bring them to Easter. Number two, we do not police the Lord's table. Look at verse 28, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-eight. But let a man examine himself. And so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. 
Some churches, they don't let you come unless you're on their membership roll. They don't let you do this. They don't let you do that. We do not do that at Verity Baptist Church. We do not police the Lord's table. You say, why is that? Because the Bible says, let a man examine himself. So we just tell people, I just preach a sermon and say, hey, don't take of the Lord's Supper unworthily unless you want to die. <laughs> and then you, look, you got to make sure that your heart is right, that you're saved, that you're, and, and look, when it comes to children, I don't think God's going to kill a child because they take of the Lord's Supper, but you know, you got to teach your children, hey, this is not, this is not a game. This is not something we just take it, just it's, it's a fun little snack. You know, bring them a bag of Cheez-Its, <laughs> but don't let them participate in the Lord's Supper if they're not saved. That's, what, that's my advice. But whatever you do, we do not police the Lord's table. We expect you to be able to judge yourself. And then number three, we do not want you to avoid the Lord's Supper. We just want you to take it seriously. Look at verses 29 and 30 again. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not destroying the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. God says if you take, Paul says if you take it unworthily, you might die. God might make you sick and die. And here's all I'm saying. You can interpret that word unworthily however you want. There's many ways to interpret it. At the very least, it, you have to be saved. But if I were you, I would spend the next few days getting right, getting my heart right with the Lord, Amen. making things right with other people, and, 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 and preparing my heart. That's why I preach these sermons. I want to give you a few days to prepare your heart to take the Lord's Supper. Now, don't do this, because this is what people tend to do, and it's the weirdest thing in the world to me. I get up here and say, hey... The Lord's Supper is for saved people. Let's take the next three days to purge our hearts, purge out the leaven, get our hearts right, get right with God, get right with each other, and let's take this ordinance that has been given to us to remember the death of Christ. Let's do it together as a church. And then what people do is like, oh, I'm not going to come to the Lord's Supper because I'm not right with God. Or I'm really bitter and angry at this person at church, so I'm not going to come to the Lord's Supper. And I think to myself, like, whoa, you just miss it. The point is not, I'm not right with God, so I'm not going to take the Lord's Supper. Are you an idiot? The point is, get right with God. It's not that hard. I'm not going to take the Lord's Supper because I'm backslidden. Then stop being backslidden. That's the, that's the answer. That's the moral of the story. Get right with God. And you think I'm joking, but every year people tell me, like, I'm not coming because I'm not right with God. And I'm just like, what in the world? Like, that's not the point. If you can say that, if you can communicate that, there's something wrong with you. Get your heart right. Get right with God. Ask for forgiveness. You know the Bible says that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So get right with God. Come to the Lord's Supper. God wants you to come. And you know what the Bible calls it? Communion. He wants you to commune. You know what we are, we're invited to do at the Lord's Supper? We're invited to come and participate in a meal with God. In communion and fellowship with God. Don't skip that. Don't miss that. Don't think little of that. Make it a priority. Spend the next few days getting your heart right, getting your, your thoughts right, getting right with people you need to get right with, whatever. Getting saved, whatever. And be ready to commune with God at the Lord's Supper on Wednesday night. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word. And Lord, I, I pray you'd help us to understand these things that have been taught. 
And, and Lord, help us understand that my, my goal is not to argue with people about these things. We're independent Baptists. Every Baptist can do whatever they want. But I do want our church family to understand what we do and how we do it here. Lord, I pray that you would bless the Lord's Supper service as we take it on Wednesday night. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us to take it seriously, not to avoid it, but to get right, get our hearts right, to prepare our hearts, to make sure that we're not taking, that we're not having contentions with each other, that we're not participating in things we shouldn't be participating, but that we are ready to come and have communion with the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us understand that it's not required for salvation. It's not a sacrament. But it's something that we do to show the Lord's death till he come. We love you. In the matchless name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, God bless you. Thank you for being here tonight.